Welcome to Teaching Channel Talks. I'm your host, Wendy Amato, and as often as I can, I jump into conversations about topics that matter in education. In this episode, let's explore the power of music and amazing qualities also of an educator who makes a difference in the lives of her students. Katie Silcott, welcome. Thank you, Wendy. Thanks for having me. I'm happy to have you, and I imagine that everybody in Shanahan Middle School in particular is as happy to have time with you as I am. Oh, thank you. It's it's a joy. I'm on summer mode, so I love it so much. It's great. I'm grateful to have time with you because I feel like you have messages that educators across the country really need to hear. And uh, this is certainly messaging that is appreciated in your school district and celebrated. You've got an amazing website, an incredible reputation. Talk to me about your students and why you love them so much. Oh my goodness. I tell you, if you can find somebody that loves teaching middle school, it is, it's a treasure. And I happen to work in a building full of teachers who love to teach sixth through eighth graders. Um, I actually started teaching, I started teaching high school when I first graduated from Ohio State. Um, and it was fine. I loved it. But I had been able to visit my middle, the middle school in my district and, and just got to know the kids and got to know the magic of that age level. Um, so then I, after five years, I switched to middle school just because I felt like I could make such a big impact at that age. And I think it's because when I was in sixth grade, that was when I decided I wanted to be a teacher. Um, I had a, my choir teacher was phenomenal. She was, you know, being in her class was my favorite part of the day. And I remember talking to her and saying, you know, I, how could I, could I do this for a career? Could you help me with this? And she took me under her wing. And, and I remember feeling so confident at that age when, you know, in, you know, 11, 12, 13, when we're figuring a lot of things out in the preteen era. And um, she just helped me feel so comfortable with myself and my strengths. And so if I could do that for kids, that's, I think that's the precious part of teaching that age level. You and I are both middle school educators, and there is something magical about that age group. You are a vocal music teacher, but you teach so much more than vocals. Talk to me about that. I do. What I love so much about Shanahan, where I am, is that it is such a great school for just the general culture of kids and teachers. Um, so yes, I am very lucky. I get to teach choir, and I have 240 students, so it's a good a good amount of of the school population. But it's just so nice to be in a building where there is just such emphasis on community and culture, and that everybody belongs and has like has a a way to contribute to their their school and their environment. So it's been really awesome to be able to be in on a staff and with students and parents who are all just, I just, they say so often at our school, the kids are just so nice. They're just so genuinely nice and kind to each other. You know, we're not, they're not all best friends, but it's just a good way to practice being a human in this world. So being there every day is awesome. There may be some people that feel like learning to sing um, is more of a hobby. How would, how would you address somebody who says, oh, maybe you should take something else? That's an amazing question because so often people say, like adults I talk to say, oh, I was told I never could sing or I was told to just mouth the words. But I feel like it's in the sixth grade level, I tell all my kids, you know, I, I, we're really lucky to be able to go to our fifth grade schools and recruit the kids and talk to them about middle school choir and all of our music ensembles and ways they could get involved. And so I'm so happy to say to kids, you know, try it in sixth grade. Don't let anyone tell you you can't sing. If you can talk, you can sing. Even if you can't talk, you could find you have a voice in some 
way and it can be used in a group like this. So that inclusiveness that I, I love to have every year is, is really nice for kids because then they try it in sixth grade and they see if it's something that they you know, can excel in, or even just I have kids who never want to sing a solo. They just want to, you know, be with their friends and, and sing together. And that's amazing. That's great. And so usually they stick with it. Um, I, I retain a lot of kids from sixth all the way through eighth grade. Um, and I say to the kids, I'm really excited and very privileged that I could be their teacher for more than a year. I would imagine that uh, you speak very kindly when you talk to people about the benefits of vocal music, but you know deep down that this is about community and connections and um, discipline, uh, relationships, listening to one another, all those qualities of adults that we value so highly live in vocal music. Yes, the harmony, it sounds so cheesy, but the harmony that you experience in something like that is something that I think we could apply to our life, you know, in whatever profession we're in. I love that. I'm happy for your students. In the video clips that I've seen of your students on your website, I can see real joy on their faces. And that's a that's an expression you don't see in a lot of other classes. I don't often walk by the math classroom and see the same facial expression. Yeah, it's nice. And like, I think they feel like throughout their day, they have to be so serious or they have to be concentrating. But to be able to let loose like that, that is super nice. And it's here. It's so nice to hear from people that see us that they do feel that genuine joy. There are a lot of uh, benefits to the individual students that are in your care in the classroom. Talk to me about some of the transformations that you've seen in the individual musicians who come into your class. Oh, I love it. That's my favorite thing to be able to meet them at age 12 and, and, or 11, but some of them are still 11. Um, and, and again, yeah, it's a nice variety of kids. I have kids who have been singing forever and they were made for the stage, but then the coolest part is just meeting those kids who are like, well, I don't want to take a study hall and I don't want to play an instrument, but I'm going to, I want to do music. I'm going to sign up for this class. Seeing those kids and how they have just like come out of their shell so much, that's the, that's such a beauty. And I've, I've had kids who have, you know, signed up in sixth grade and then maybe taken a year off in seventh grade and then come back in eighth grade and said, I don't know why I stopped this. This is this daily, um, I'm so lucky I teach a, a first period eighth grade class. And so they come in at 720 in the morning and they're so tired and we start really early and they just being able to wake up together we dance a little bit we sing just to get them to break the shield of feeling that like self-conscious or that they have to kind of hold themselves back but starting the day with them in a way that they can just be themselves and feel comfortable it's that's the beauty then to see them go on to prepare for high school and 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 have that confidence that they gained in my classroom I'm like a proud parent of like hundreds and hundreds of kids a year. You've been teaching for 21 years and with hundreds of students every year, you really have a ripple effect. I, I think with the, with the thousands of students that have come through your program, what are some of the long-term benefits that you've seen happen? Oh, well, first and foremost, I love seeing the students I've had who have become teachers. That has been awesome to be able to, now just to still keep in touch with so many former students who are now like, you know, in their fifth, sixth, seventh, eighth, even 10, more than 10 years of teaching. Um, I even get to work with some of my former students at my school. So just that is the most precious thing to see how they have realized 
the impact they could have on kids, just like I realized my impact when I was in sixth, seventh, eighth grade. So that's the beauty. And it's going to happen forever. We're going to have that experience. You know, as long as we have kids in our classroom, we'll be able to impact them and see that ripple effect for sure. And then to see kids, you know, see people not necessarily be teachers, but like be able to reference their most precious times in choir with me and where they may have found that they discovered a new strength that they never heard of before and then applying that to their life. It's just so cool. You may be single-handedly taking care of the teacher shortage by inspiring people to come into the profession. I hope so because it's the best. I tell my kids that I tell my own kids I have two two um almost middle school. Oh I have one in middle school and one in elementary. It's the best job. It's so great. You know you get to you get to have a new year every year, new people, you know, you get to help, you know, people grow and it's the best. One of the messages that you and I may enjoy sharing with educators right now is thinking about um, a, a life outlook of optimism. That's part of, of yes. your core being. Tell me how to keep this optimistic outlook. Yes, I am. I feel like it's so hard. It's, I mean, we've been through the hard stuff for sure. And I, I know that you know, in my first few years of teaching, people were like, are you for real? Like, what are you, what are you doing here? Like, with, because I just really always have had an outlook of optimism and positivity. But now that I'm, you know, in year 21, I can say for sure that I've practiced it enough and seen it impact people. I just feel like um, life is too short to feel, to wake up every day and say, oh, I'm worried about this and that. And I'm apprehensive about this. And I'm stressed about that. And I've, I've really, I've done a lot of reading and a lot of practicing about how if we flip the ratio. I've named it the sunshine ratio. I call it that. Um, if you can, for every one thing that might be stressing you out or, you know, being a burden on your mind, if you could find two things to counter that, it just kind of shifts your mindset. So it's, and it's not easy all the time to do, but you know, if a kid comes in and says, Oh my gosh, I bombed my algebra test. I totally know that I didn't do well. And I'm really stressed about it. I try to talk them through it and say, okay, well, let's, how did the rest of your day go? Or how, you know, what's going on? You know, what are you doing after school? Or, you know, have you read a book that you love? And we're usually able to, it doesn't always make the stressful thing go away, but it's a good way to kind of shift the, shift the mind frame for sure. The sunshine ratio sounds like a strategy that everybody in all circumstances at all ages should keep uh, up their sleeves. And it could be for big things or small things, really. Definitely. And in the school, in the building, I one of my most favorite articles that I've read is by Jennifer Gonzalez. She wrote it, I think, like 10 years ago. Um, she was an education. She's a teacher and a blogger and blogger. And um, it's called the Marigold Effect. I don't know if you've heard or talked about miracle effect, but it basically says, you know, in your school, find the person on your staff, you know, who is going to build you up because a marigold, the flower is a nurturing flower and you plant it next to things that you want to not have, you know, you know, on bugs around. So just being that way or finding those people in your building is another way to increase longevity. I, that, that was a really good article to read. I remember when it first came out and I just thought like, how could I be that to someone or how could I help? others or when new teachers start at my building, you know, how can I somehow be that or show them where those marigolds are? Your character comes through in the way you describe the marigold effect because you've done two things very clearly. You've said, make sure you find your marigold so you have a place 
where you have some support and that someone who's going to be a strength for you. But at the same time, you're also saying, remember that you may also be a miracle to others. What else could we offer to teachers who uh, have been in the field for a while that may help them prevent burnout? Oh, that's a great question. I think, again, I, I know I mentioned the sunshine ratio and I mentioned, you know, finding the optimism. Um, I guess also not putting too much pressure on ourselves. You know, I, I think that we see so much now with, you know, with social media and things about, oh, this person's doing this in their classroom and this person's doing that. Um, you know, I not not feeling like you have to conquer the world or, you know, be teacher of the year and every year, you know, I, I think just making sure you're realistic with your goals and things that bring you joy and and then really opening your eyes and seeing how you impact students, you know, that's renewing and and you know, not again, like not biting off so much that you are overwhelmed, but you know, just taking counting the small joys, you know, adding them up and keeping them, you know, keeping them close so that you can, you know, keep and, and renew, find a time. I love, I say that I love teaching also because we are off in the summer. I love that, you know, there are ways to renew and, and take a step back. I, it's fantastic to just unplug and, you know, reflect, but also not think about school for a little bit too. I hope listeners can hear the smile in my voice when I, when I say you're reminding educators to, to maybe put less pressure on themselves and make sure that they renew, but you're also an award nominated instructor. So it's just funny to think about you saying, Hey, chill, relax, you know, less pressure, but at the same time, you are so celebrated. So Katie, tell me about your nomination. So ironically, that all came about, like I was saying, it was important to step back and reflect and enjoy the quiet. Um, and a few years ago, during, you know, crazy uh, pandemic times when we were all learning from home, I had received a notice from the Grammy Museum, which is a like a part of the Recording Academy. Uh, they focus on outreach and education, and they offer every year, they, they award a Music Educator Award, a Music Educator Grammy Award. So we were home, you know, it was 2020. We didn't know what was happening with getting back into school. And I got this email that had said, one of your students nominated you for this teaching award. And I remembered back a few months ago before that, where we um, were talking about the Grammys. We always do a little side lesson on just like pop music, just to keep things current. And then a kid said, have you ever won a Grammy? And I laughed. I was like, oh, there's no, there's no Grammy for teaching. I'm not, you know, I'm not Adele. I'm not Taylor Swift. I'm <laughs> teacher. And so then how beautiful was it that we're all home and all confused about how we're going to go on with the future. I get this email saying a student found out that there was an award, nominated me. And again, it was a beautiful time because even despite all the unsure, um, it was after the nomination happened, we, in order to move forward in the process, we were um, given the chance to submit a couple videos and interview some coworkers and employers and just um, people that knew us. So it was a great time to reflect upon. At that point, I had taught almost 20 years and, um, or no, it was like, yeah, just under 20 years. And I pulled some old footage of my classes, my choirs, you know, from the early 2000s. And, and I sent everything in and then found out um, a few months later that I had made the top 25 in the state, or I'm sorry, top 25 in the country. And then in December of 2021, oh, because it was, there was a little 
a little break in time with COVID times. But then December of 21, I found out I was in the top 10 in the nation. And it was awesome. It was so cool to, to bring attention to Shanahan. And, you know, the kids felt like rock stars because we had, you know, the news come in and, and, um, and just to, to shine a light on that group after we had been such through such crazy years. Uh, it was really awesome. It was great. And then I got to meet nine other educators who were so fantastic in their own little parts of the United States. Um, and then I ended up not winning, but the gentleman who won was a middle school band teacher from Texas and he was phenomenal and I'm super happy for him. And just the whole process was, was awesome. A student nomination, it feels especially meaningful. That, that really took some initiative it would have been easy for a student to not take on that the project of nominating you, but what a statement. Yeah, it's so great, especially a preteen, like a middle schooler who's still figuring out you know, life to, to have them do that. And that's what I've learned again at my school is just how much beauty there is in just you know taking time to tell someone that they've been so special to you or to show them or to write them a letter. It's, it's just, that's another, I think I would use that in my toolbox for sure, for to keep yourself renewed um, in the field for sure. Let's add a takeaway lesson from that story that we should never underestimate our students, even the middle schoolers with all the, with all the things they have going on, they really have amazing potential and are acting on it. It's not potential that's going to be actualized or realized down the line. It's right now. Absolutely. And just cherish that, you know, and, and help that grow in kids. It's so important for them to, to feel that way, to get to feel reflective and to know that even in the hardest time, you know, there's still beauty places and you can really still reflect and, and you know, think about the good things in your life. If you could create a checklist for families, for their students, what five things would you put on it? Yes, this is good. Okay, number one, I would say, please encourage your child to get involved with something team-based, some something. And in middle school, they will have a chance. I know a lot of middle schools don't start sports until about seventh grade. So sixth grade, it's a little bit more vague, but if they can well, I know I'm biased, but if they can join a music ensemble or, you know, be in the drama club or just pick up, do a flag football league on your own or a neighborhood wiffle ball team, find a way, but I would say band and choir and orchestra would be the first choice, but find a way for them to get involved for sure. Um, and then two would be to try, you know, have open lines of communication with your child you know, not just when it comes to school, but when it comes to stuff at home, I know it's super hard, but again, like living with one now, I mean, he's a boy, he's kind of, yeah, he's, he's still youthful and shares a lot of things, but just don't be afraid to, you know, ask questions and open lines of communication with how things are going in school and who they're sitting with at lunch. Um, that's, I would say, number two, the most important thing. Three, I would say lead on kindness all the time with your, I mean, parenting, it's tricky and teaching is tricky, but try to please facilitate kindness in your child. Um, they don't have to be best friends with everybody in school, but just find a way for them to, you know, even go through like a social story of how you would say if someone came up to you and said something to you that you didn't agree with, like, how would you respond in a, in a professional adult kind way? 
rather than saying, oh, that's not what I think or like, you know, other things. So just lead on an lead on a platform of kindness. Okay, four, I'm going to try to get more to an, an educator point of view. This kind of goes with the number one, getting involved with, in things at school, but find find a way for kids to impact their school, not necessarily through getting involved in something. That's a great way to do it. But, you know, find find a way for them to ownership and pride in their school, pride and and, you know, just great confidence with with their school community. I think that allows kids to take care of their school and to, you know, look out for each other. Number five. Number five is do not be afraid to ask kids at other grade levels around you um, what they would ask them for their top five list. Ask them, you know, if they could think of five things that they wish they knew at the beginning of sixth grade that would have made sixth grade a lot easier or, you know, seventh grade, you know, if they could, if they knew then what they know now, don't be afraid to talk to you know, neighborhood kids or, you know, go in and ask, you know, do lunch, help out with lunch duty and talk to some kids and you, you know, your kid won't care. Just don't, you know, if they're like, oh, mom, don't go to my school. Find a way to reach out to other other families with older kids and kind of encourage them to be reflective about what they would do differently or the same to kind of make their years in middle school easier. That last piece of advice lines up beautifully with what we were just saying about um, being sure not to underestimate students. Talking about students and thinking about advice and, and anticipating what's important or good for them, we should be including them in the conversation. And that's just what you did. Oh, thank you. And, you know, like, I love that the common theme of talking today has been about opportunities for reflection. It's great. It, even if every year gets harder and harder, it's because students get more and more capable. We had we talked a little bit about music today, but we talked a lot about the influence that you get to have as an educator and as a person who inspires students throughout your school. I'm grateful for the conversation. Oh, I'm so happy we got to talk. And again, I know music is the best if you ask me, but it's just so cool to see what is all involved in the world of music and, and teaching such big, big groups of kids. Well, Olin Tanji Shanahan is lucky community to have you and I'm grateful for time. I want to thank the fellow educators who listened to our conversation today and hope that they feel a little bit inspired too. If you all want to explore the topics that Katie and I discussed today, please check out the show notes at teachingchannel.com slash podcast and be sure to subscribe on whatever listening app you use that will help others to find us. I'll see you again soon for the next episode. Thanks for listening. Oh,